Great. Well, good, good. I'm so glad you're here this morning, and uh, great to see you up there as well. And uh, we're opening up this new book, Galatians. Not a new book in the Bible, obviously it's been there for years, but uh, it's, uh, it's a fresh book for us in terms of a book that we're studying together as a church, and I'm really excited about it. I feel like this book is going to be very formative for you and for me and for us as a church. It's often described as being a magna carta of Christian liberty. It's, a, it, it's a, a thing that teaches Christians on what life is meant to look like for a Christian. The freedoms you're meant to enjoy as a Christian. And uh, rather cleverly, we've come up with this title for it. It's called Free From. And uh, I was explaining, because really uh, we're doing a whole series of studies on the liberties that the gospel brings to us. The freedoms that Christ has won for you through his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. And uh, we called it Free From, to tell us all the things that we're free from now that we are Christians. And uh, as I was chatting to somebody about this preaching series, they said to me, they said, uh, said, huh. they said, you know what they said? There's like a supermarket food range with that ex- exact title, free from, you know, and it's got all the bad bits taken out of it. And I said, of course I knew that. That's why we called it that. <laughs> and uh, we are, we're looking at some of the toxic things that can make the gospel turn sour, to make it turn bad and ineffective in our lives. And we are hoping to do that over a period of a few months, and we're going to go into it in some detail. We'll be studying it in small groups. Uh, if you, some things that you can do to help you get used to this book. I'm a pretty slow reader. I'm, anybody who knows me will know I don't read a whole lot of books. This book, Galatians, takes me 12 minutes to read from start to finish. And if you get time to do that at any point this week or over the next few weeks, that would be a really worthwhile thing for you to do, to just read it from cover to cover, 12 minutes max. If you're faster than me, you'll do it much quicker than me. So there's a challenge for you. Set your stopwatch, see how quickly you can read this book. Here's another thing you can do. Um, Sometimes people think commentaries are really heavy, hard to read books. This book is written by Tim Keller and it's all about the book of Galatians. It's very, very accessible, very easy to read. And as elders, we all feel like this is a great book for anybody to, to read. It has usually about three pages of writing explaining a text and then it has some questions to ask us to say how are you applying this in your life. That's a really great book if you want to get hold of it and read it. It's called Tim Keller Galatians for You and I think it's about £8 on Amazon or £6 if you get it on Kindle which is a cheaper way of getting it. So let's, uh, let's put the text up for the, the verses. We're going to read verses 1 to 12 today. First thing I want to say, even before we read all of this, this is written by Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ. The first thing we're to know about this letter is this, it was written by the apostle Paul, and he gives himself that title as he writes this letter to these people that he's writing to. You know, Paul wasn't big on titles. In fact, the early church wasn't big on titles. They didn't go around calling each other brother so-and-so and sister this and... And, and apostle that, and pastor this. That's quite a sort of a, an odd idea, really. We, we don't believe in that in this church. We don't go around calling each other pastor, prophet, brother, sister. We, we're just normal. We're a family. We have normal relationships with one another. We call each other by our names. Now, it's interesting to note, therefore, that on this occasion, Paul introduces his letter, and he says, Apostle Paul. And do you know why he does that? Because the word apostle means sent from God. And he's making this point right at the outset of this letter. He says, I am coming to you sent by God with a word from God for you. 
And he's not saying that out of any sense of entitlement or pride or saying, look at me, I'm a great guy. He's saying, I've got something important to tell to you. You know, if you were walking along Prince's Street and somebody had collapsed on the floor in the pavement and there was a little crowd of people gathered around and, you know, you might be thinking, well, maybe I could help and you, you sort of butt into the little crowd of people and, and at the front of the crowd you hear there's a little argument going on and there's a couple of guys in there saying, well, I did my St. John's ambulance 20 years ago. I think I could probably give this guy some help. And the other guy saying, well, I did a course at first aid at work five years ago, but I didn't really listen to it. And then somebody else is saying, well, you know what, my sister's a nurse. Maybe I could give her a ring and see if she's got any advice for this, this poor fellow who's kind of passed out on the ground. And you're thinking, my goodness. And then it would come as some relief if somebody pushed their way through the crowd and said, excuse me, I'm a doctor. None of you doctors would do that, would you? You'd just walk <laughs> past. But... No, but it would come as a relief that, you, that somebody would come in and say, I'm a doctor, I can help you. Think, oh, thank goodness for that. Somebody knows what they're doing with an ill person. Now, this is what Paul's doing. He's coming to a group of Christians who've got some stuff going badly wrong. And straight away he says, I've got the solution here. Do you know there's an element of Christian leadership which is a wonderful blessing from God? And it's all kinds of leadership. That could be eldership, it could be apostleship, it could be pastors, it could be teachers, it could be a small group leader. And here's the blessing it brings. It, it helps us when we're in trouble. God never designed you or I to be lone rangers, to be people who are just meant to sort things out by ourselves and kind of, kind of take our own guidance and our own uh, wisdom on things. God gives us leaders to be a blessing. And of course, leaders can abuse power and misuse power, but we're never to let that put us off the fact that leaders are designed to be a blessing to us. So it's written from the Apostle Paul, and he's sent by God. And he's pretty stirred up, as we're going to find out. So let's read these verses together, verses 1 to 12. I'm reading from the New International Version, but it will appear on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we've preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. It's written by Paul. It's written, we find in those verses, to the churches in Galatia. So it's more than one church. It's a whole group of churches. Galatia was a province of Rome. It was at an extremity of the uh, then Christian spread of the gospel. 
It's about as far as the gospel had spread. And it was full of many immigrant people from different places surrounding that area. It's in what we would call modern-day Turkey. And what we find is that Paul visited the, the region of Galatia. Well, let me just say something other. That, that, that shows us something, by the way, that Paul is writing to a group of churches that have all fallen under the same deception, the same false teaching. shows us something about the way churches work together in the New Testament. That there was no such thing as an independent church where people just did their own thing. They were linked with one another. They had key strategic links with other churches. And these churches were all linked through apostolic ministry, through the Apostle Paul. And so when good things happen, that spread right across the churches. When encouragements happen, that spread right across the churches. But sadly, when one of them started listening to false teachers and started saying, hey, this is good stuff, and started recommending it to others, it started to spread to other churches as well. It's a wonderful thing to be in relationship with other churches. We love being part of a, a group of churches called New Ground, part of New Frontiers, where we love sharing joy and encouragements with one another. We enjoy sharing apostolic ministry. So we find out about these churches. Paul made two visits to Galatia, one to the south of the province, one to the north of the province. We don't know much about his visit to the north of the province, but we do know an awful lot about his visit to the south churches. And we read in Acts chapter 13. So by way of background, before we really even come to these verses here that we're talking about today, I want to just set the scene for you. So in Acts chapter 13, you find that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas have been sent out from their church in Antioch. They've been recognized as having a, a ministry calling to go and preach the gospel. And they... They, they do some traveling, and they find themselves in a town called Pisidian Antioch, which is the first town they come to in the province of Galatia. And they go into the synagogue. Wherever Paul went, his first port of call was always the synagogue, which is where the Jewish people gathered. That's where the people who believed in God, the God of the Bible that was written uh, over centuries past, that's where they gathered to worship and to, and to read their Bibles and to have study and teaching. And we don't know what it was about that occasion because Paul and Barnabas sneak into the back and they must have had some kind of expression on their face because the leader of the synagogue, he kind of spots Paul and, it, and, he, and he says, Paul, if, you, if you've got some kind of word of encouragement for us, then please would you share it? And I can only imagine it's a bit like the class at school where the boy on the back row is laughing and the teacher said, uh, if there's a joke, maybe you could share it with all of us. I think Paul is probably sitting there with a huge grin on his face for the entire duration of the meeting to the point where he says, will you please tell us what you're so happy about? And he says, sure, I'd love to tell you. And he begins to articulate that the whole of what Judaism teaches and believes, the whole of the Old Testament teaching, he does a quick summary of it in Acts chapter 13. He says, all leads to one point, Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus Christ, he's the offspring of Abraham and he's the one who came to take away our sin. And so you read in verse 38, he says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. He's talking to a mixed group here, by the way. There was Jews there, but it says there were also God-fearing Gentiles. There were Gentiles who turned away from idol worshipping because they'd realized that there was a true God 
And they weren't, they weren't just to believe whatever they wanted. They had to believe in the true God. So they'd come in, but they were always regarded as outsiders and second-class believers because they didn't have the history with God that the Jews had. And for the first time in their life, Paul addresses these two groups together. And he says, I'm talking to both of you together because the Jews have no advantage over you in this one. If you're a Jew and you've been obeying the law for years, I want you to know that that hasn't been enough to put you right with God. And if you're a Gentile who doesn't know anything about God, then you don't need to know anything other than Jesus can forgive your sins. And the result was quite amazing. And for us, this is all kind of common knowledge. We kind of think we've read this stuff in the Bible a hundred times. But for them, it did something. As soon as the meeting finished, they started pulling on Paul's arm. They said, Paul, will you tell us more about this? When's the last time you came up to me after a preach and said, would you say a bit more, please? Huh? I don't think it's ever happened. I'd like to think if I was there, they would have said to me, tell us more. And so Paul says, well, I've got to go home now. He says, but let, come back next Sunday. He says, until, it was next Saturday, until you come back, he says, just stay clear in the grace of God. Grace means free gift. He says, this is the thing I want you to, to the thought I want to leave with you. Stay in grace. It's God's gift. Stop working. But you don't need to make an effort here. You need to just receive a gift from God. And he says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. Judaism, with all its rituals and, and, and needs and, and demands on you. And they said, Paul says, you don't need to do it anymore. He says, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. Interesting point. That when people receive the gospel in its purity, it has, the more, it has more power to change their life than any list of rules. Their gladness in receiving the word led to them honoring the word of God. Today, if you think Christianity is a rule book, then you're missing the very essence of the gospel. And it says that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And it says the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. This is a fascinating point. I think it's fascinating anyway. I'll see if you do. See, if I was to say to you, what is the biggest barrier to the gospel reaching Scotland or Edinburgh. We could come up with a whole load of reasons, a load of good reasons. We could say, well, it's rampant secularism. It's just closing us down every opportunity. We could say it's, it's humanism. We could say it's atheism. We could come up with a load of other isms, materialism. We could say there's all these things which are working against faith and promoting our faith and telling people about Jesus. Interestingly, when you have a group of Christians with very little knowledge, but they're happy in God, and they're full of joy, the word of the Lord spreads through the whole region. Isn't that interesting? When you get Christians happy in who they are in God, when they understand the good news of what the gospel is, without all the rules that, that can get associated with it, guess what? They start telling their friends about it. They start saying, I've got some amazing news for you. You should come to church. You should hear about this. This is amazing. I've never heard anything like it. It's incredible. The biggest battle for us in, for the church in Scotland isn't the isms. It's helping Christians know and love the joy that they can receive in Christ. They were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So that was the history. So by the time Galatians 1 comes along, Paul is in a bit of a state. It's only about a year later, believe it or not. Since then, he's put some elders in for them, but they're obviously quite young in the faith, it would seem. 
and he's got wind that these people are now moving solidly away from simple faith in Christ to complicating it, to, to adding other things to it, Jesus plus some other things. And he uses these words in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I am astonished. That's an interesting point to make. Do you know, it takes a lot to astonish a church leader. Isn't that right, Matt? It, it does. It, let, let, let me expand on that slightly, because maybe you think, well, church leaders, they lead a pretty sheltered life. I bet they, they don't know half of what goes on in real life. And it's true, not, not, not all of us are kind of Daryl Tunningleys who've had some background in crime before coming to know Jesus. You know, most of us have probably had a fairly sedate childhood. But here's the thing, if you're a Christian leader, and for, for, for many of you here, you've got responsibilities. God's calling you into leadership in different spheres. And here's the interesting thing, that with Christian leadership, absolutely essential to it, and the thing that you will feel first and foremost is a concern and an interest and a desire to serve other people. Isn't that right? You you think, well, I I just want to help. I want to do something for somebody. I want to speak some truth to them. And so if you're in your workplace or, or where you live and somebody is going through, or they're about to make a really terrible decision. If you care about them, you would probably say, hey, you know what, you'd get involved, you'd chat to them, you'd say, well, tell us what you're thinking about. And they'd explain the course of action that they're thinking about taking, and, and they may or may not take that course of action. And it's really sad when somebody takes a course of action that you personally think that's not going to be good for you, especially if it turns out really bad for that person. But, but here's the thing, in terms of pastoral care for people, you're not surprised, you're not astonished. Is that right? Would that be fair? Because you've had the conversation. You understand that this person is valuing that relationship over and above Jesus right now, or that person is valuing that lifestyle over and above their Christian faith at the moment. So it's, it's not astonishing, you're just thinking, yeah, I, I get that, because logically that's where they've gone in their head. I disagree with it, but I'm not astonished. So it should come with a special note of interest to us that the most experienced church leader in the world, the Apostle Paul, starts his letter to the Galatians with these words, I am astonished. He says, what you are doing makes no sense to anybody. In fact, his tag at the beginning of the letter, we noticed he said, it's from me on behalf of Jesus and God and every other Christian who's here with me. Every brother and sister says, we all think you are completely balmy in what you are believing. He he says it makes no sense. And throughout this letter, we're going to come back to it again and again. We'll see that he is deeply puzzled by their belief. So let's see what is happening. He, He writes as a father would to a child in grave danger. Some things in life are are very, are just a matter of choice, aren't they? Some things don't deserve comment or rebuke or kind of, even time spent on them. I'm a dad, I've got four children, I took three of them, my three sons, I took them for a haircut the other day. And um, they'd had their hair done and we went home, that was nice. Later on that afternoon, my son Sam comes running through, he says, Dad, you've got to come and see what Ben's done. Ben's my youngest son, he's four. And Ben had found himself a pair of scissors and he'd decided that the hairdresser hadn't gone quite far enough. (laughs) So he'd cut his entire fringe off. (laughs) 
If you don't know my son, he's the one who kind of looks like a Celtic supporter now. <laughs> Ginger hair, crew cut. But here's the thing, it wasn't a telling off moment. We, we all laughed. We all laughed about how he'd found a pair of scissors. And <laughs> <laughs> he was laughing, we were laughing. It wasn't a bit. Yeah, it, we, we, it's going to be a fun family memory, we hope. <laughs> no damage has been done. He just looks a bit silly at the moment. But. However, if, if Ben had done something like trying to open a car as we're a car door like we're driving along, that would be a concerning thing. That would be a stop the car, tell him off, make him understand that that was deeply wrong and dangerous what he did, and there would be tears. You've got to understand, the letters to the Galatians, isn't Paul just expressing a few opinions? He's, he's saying, what you're doing is dangerous and wrong. And so he's going to correct them. So seemingly what has happened is that teachers from the Orthodox Jewish background, who are also Christians, have been discipling these new Christians. And Paul describes as what they've been teaching these new Christians is being a different gospel. Let's get on to the next slide, please. So the religion that they are teaching is a religion not of simple faith in Jesus, but one of external conformity. So here we go. Apostle Paul, he's left him saying... Just remember grace, that's the key word. Undeserved favour, that's all you need to know. God loves you. The new teachers arrive in town. The Jewish teachers, they say, hey, would you like to be discipled? And these new Christians are like, totally. Love Jesus, he's amazing. I'd love you to teach me about Jesus. And so uh, imagine new Jewish teacher friend sidles up to you and he says, uh, okay, Daniel, um, let's... Uh, Let's meet for breakfast on, on Saturday. And Daniel says, says well, that's great. I could, I could maybe cook some bacon rolls for us. And uh, Jewish teacher, new Jewish teacher friend says, well, first thing you need to know if you're going to follow Jesus is he hates bacon. <laughs> have, have you not read the book of Leviticus where God hates pigs? It's quite clear. It says no eating pigs. No eating ham or bacon or anything else that you like to do with pork. In fact, don't you remember that Jesus sent a whole herd of pigs off a hillside once? That's how much God hates pigs. And you're teaching this to this new Christian, Daniel. And uh, Daniel's like, oh, okay, well, I do like bacon, but I love Jesus more. I can, I can, I can pay a cost there. That's fine. So Daniel says, uh, well, maybe we go out for a curry instead then. Maybe we go for a, a korma. I could make us a korma. Jewish teacher friend says, well, have you not read that scripture in Leviticus about boiling a goat in its mother's milk? Like, Daniel's like, well, no, I've never read that scripture. He says, well, we believe that means that you can't eat chicken korma anymore. So then Jewish teacher friend says, well, okay, let's meet next Saturday. Daniel says, well, actually, I'm off on holiday next Saturday. Jewish teacher friend says, well, interesting, you're going on holiday. Where are you going? Daniel's like, well, I like a bit of luxury, really. Take the family to Turkey. We're in Turkey. I like to take them to the beach, to a five-star hotel. You know, I just love to spend a bit of money and to, to enjoy myself on holiday. Jewish teacher friend says, well, we do holidays a bit differently in our church. We have something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's, it's every bit as good as your holiday, it's just that we go camping instead. <laughs> and we all take a tent and we go down to the West Bank in Jerusalem and we set up our tents and we sing songs for a week. Isn't that great? This is coming too true to experience for some of you, isn't it? <laughs> 
You think, that doesn't sound like a holiday, but hey, you know what? If that's, if, that's, if that's what God wants, if that's what pleases God, if he loves it when I don't eat these foods and I take this kind of holiday, maybe that's what I should be doing. And the teacher says, you know what? We'll get into all the detail next time we meet, Daniel, but there's just one other thing in the essential discipleship <laughs> toolkit. He says that every, every new Christian needs to know. He says, uh, it's just... Daniel, could you stand up? <laughs> uh, what every new Christian needs to know is that God loves it when we get circumcised. It, interestingly, conversion was more popular among women than men. Now, can you imagine at the start of that conversation the joy that you were experiencing? God loves me no matter what I do. I don't have to do anything to please him. He loves me because of Jesus. And at the end of the conversation, you're being told. (laughs) Everything in your life has to change to make you acceptable to God. Otherwise, you don't belong here. Would that not steal all your joy? Would that not make the Christian gospel fundamentally bad news? It absolutely would. And that's why... I've got to put that somewhere safe. Um, that's, <laughs> that's why Paul comes hard on this issue. He says it's, it, it, that the gospel that they were preaching, this different gospel, was a gospel of external conformity. It was also a, uh, a gospel of reward for those who deserve it. Here's the teaching of religious legalism. It's If you do good, if you do the right thing, then God will bless you. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christian to have that view of life, to say, well, if you work hard in life, good things will happen to you. In fact, that's kind of what a lot of politicians say, isn't it? If If you just take responsibility for yourself and work hard, then everything will be fine for you. Work hard and you'll get results. That that ethos can creep into the Christian life. And you don't even have to be taught badly on it. You could just fall into it. The default setting of the human heart is one towards religious legalism. When I was a new Christian, and it was exciting, and I'd I'd come to faith, and I was about 14 years old, and I remember I, I saw people around me sort of experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues like we had today, and prophesying, and being filled with the Spirit. And I thought, God, I'd love that to happen to me. And I started to pray and ask God for it. And nothing seemed to happen for a while. So then I began to conclude, well, maybe I need to do something in order to get the Holy Spirit. So I I began to pray and ask God. And and this was the stunning conclusion I came to. God didn't like my record collection. And so I looked through my record collection. I only had three records. (laughs) It was back in the days of vinyl. I was just about uh, young, old enough to, to have vinyl. And they were all pet shop boys. And this was my stunning conclusion. I thought, God wants me to get rid of my pet shop boys albums because clearly that is a barrier to me receiving the spirit. You know what? It was absolute nonsense. All I needed was somebody to pray for me to be filled with the spirit because God gives the Holy Spirit to anybody who asks. Because it's a free gift. It's not an earned gift. 
Yet these believers were being taught that God will reward you with the Holy Spirit if you're a good Christian. God gives the Holy Spirit to all Christians. Here's the third thing that was getting taught. They were getting taught that this religion they were getting taught was, it was a religion of hierarchy. It was a religion where it mattered who you were and what your status was and what your background was and how long you'd been a believer for and what your parents were believers and, and back, back, back you go and, you know, I'm directly related to Abraham. It mattered whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, a slave or a free or a male or a female. This other gospel, it loves to draw lines showing who's more important than who. Do you know, religion thrives on finding somebody to look down on. And nobody's exempt from that. You can find yourself even coming to church on a Sunday morning and and you're not really feeling up for it. I don't know how you are, second week of the new year, and you think, oh, I'm just not totally engaged yet. But you look around you when you come in and you think, God, those people up the front, hands in the air, they're really into it. But then you look around and you think, "Ah, but that person over there, they're really going through it. Me, I'm in the middle. I'm doing okay. And we find this security in being somewhere in the middle. Because we find there's somebody, we may not be as good as them, but hey, we're not doing as badly as them. That's a religion of legalism. The religion they got taught was a religion of slavery and misery. In this gospel, they were being taught, you just do what you're told and you keep your head down. There's no joy, there's only service. This religion that they were teaching was a religion of self-obsession. In this other gospel, the primary concern is how I'm doing. Do I look the part? Am I performing well enough? Do other people think highly enough of me? Am I spiritual enough? And here's the truth about this other gospel. Paul says it's no gospel at all. The word gospel means good news. Here's Paul's comment on that. If you have another gospel, it's not good and it's not newsworthy. It's just like any other belief system in the world where you say, I've just got to do my bit to try and impress God. The gospel is completely different. So Paul's flabbergasted. It's only a year since he's been there. So from a simple start of faith, they've now cluttered it up with all sorts of rubbish. Today, we're subject to those same pressures of external conformity, working hard to get God to bless us, benchmarking ourselves against others, keeping our head down and obeying the rules without our heart being in it. When we find ourselves kind of asking this question, we say, well, you know what, this is how I'd really like to behave, and this is what I'd really like to do, but am I really allowed to do it? You know, there's a verse there, maybe I'm not meant to behave that way. That's the religion of legalism without the heart. An obsession with how we're doing. There's a right way and a wrong way to progress the Christian life. And in all these areas, you will find enthusiastic but misguided Christians telling you how to grow as a Christian. And here's the truth. Some of those ways are not equal and some of them are are even harmful. What was being proposed to them sounded like a good idea. They thought, if I get into doing all this Jewish law stuff, then I'm going to be a really great Christian. It sounded spiritual, but it was deeply damaging. So Paul refutes their error with beautiful simplicity throughout this letter, but we just see a little caption of it today. The gospel is summarized succinctly in verses 3 and 4, where he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's his point. He says, The gospel 
isn't a try-harder handbook. It's a rescue. It's a rescue. It's about grace. It's about something undeserved. Tim Keller, in this brilliant commentary I just recommended earlier, he said, he said, if you walk past somebody who's drowning, you don't throw them a book on how to swim. You throw them a rope. And what the gospel is, is a throwing of a rope to somebody in desperate need to lift them out. Most of the gospels don't celebrate the teaching of Jesus. They celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's because his teaching, although exquisite and helpful and important, is secondary to the reason he came, which was to rescue us from our sin. So here's five points in closing. These are just short points about what the true gospel entails. Firstly, Paul says it's a message from God. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor as I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says about the gospel. I didn't write it. Because I didn't sit down one day and say, hmm, let's think of a new way to know God and love God and serve God. And I'm going to call it the gospel. He says, no, that, that's not how it was. He said, I received it by a revelation. In fact, God knocked him down on the road to Damascus while he was still not a Christian. And, and he, he, he got hold of him and he said, Paul, this is what you're going to do with your life from now on. You're going to tell people about me. Secondly, he received it direct from God. He said there was no discussion, there was no intermediary. He said, I didn't even go up to the other apostles in Jerusalem and chat to them and see what they were doing. Anybody here use Wikipedia? You ever use that? It's a, it's a great tool, isn't it? In a, in a sort of culture that doesn't believe in absolute truth anymore, it's the closest thing we get to it. <laughs> you see, if you don't know how Wikipedia works, it's a self-editing encyclopedia. So this is how it would go. If Paul, imagine, go with me on this, different era, but imagine the Apostle Paul writes on Wikipedia, entry for Jesus Christ. And he writes this comment, he says, uh, Jesus, who gave him, Jesus is the Son of God who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. I imagine within minutes that would get edited by somebody else across the world, and what would they say? They'd say, Christians believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and he came to rescue us from our sins. And then probably some liberal Christians across the world would further edit and say, some Christians believe <laughs> that Jesus is the Son of God and he, he came to rescue us from our sins. And so it would go on. Paul is making the point, he says, this never got discussed with anybody for 14 years. He said, I didn't even chat to another apostle about what I was talking about. He said, because I got it from God. I didn't need to discuss it. I didn't, it didn't come from human origin. It's a message direct from God for humanity. And it's for every person, which is why he's going to every person. It's not a negotiation. It's not a discussion. He says it cannot be changed by me, by anybody else, or even by an angel who might appear. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than we preach, let him be under God's curse. A few months ago, we had the Commonwealth Games in, in uh, Glasgow. 
And you'll remember this guy, Chris Hoy, running into the stadium with the baton, the Queen's baton. In the Queen's baton, there is a message from Queen Elizabeth II, the monarch of the Commonwealth. And she puts that message in about 250 days before the Commonwealth Games, and it gets run around the world. And it changes hands many times. But you know what? The idea is the message going around the world to all the different peoples in the Commonwealth. Not one of those runners had authority to change the message inside the baton. Not one. In fact, it came back to Glasgow in exactly the same format as when Queen Elizabeth put it into the baton at the beginning of the journey. The gospel never changes. It's not up for human negotiation. God puts his seal on it. And Paul says, even I am not allowed to change it. Even though I'm the first one to tell you about it, I don't have the power to do it. He said, if I change it, I come under the curse. We're to simply carry the gospel. Fourthly, it's a blessing to its hearers. He says, if anybody is preaching a different gospel, then let them be under God's curse. The opposite of the curse is blessing. Paul says, if I move outside of the gospel, what I come into is the curse, the curse of God judging me based on my performance. If I stay in the gospel, this is what happens to me. I'm blessed. In fact, later on in the, in the Galatians letter, we'll find the gospel described this way. He says, the gospel was pre- preached first to Abraham. He says, all the nations will be blessed through you. The gospel is a message of blessing for all people. See, religion teaches that we constantly fall short of God's standard, but by trying hard, we can do better. When I was at school, I, I used to get piano reports. Uh, I used to get uh, end-of-term reports, and I studied piano as one of my lessons. And I used to dread going through that report with my parents, because I did pretty well on the whole, but on this one... It was always the same comment. The teacher would say, he has real potential. If only he would turn up to the lessons and do some practice. That's how it can be for us as Christians. We can find ourselves thinking, if only I would work harder. I could be a great Christian one day, if only if I studied my Bible more and prayed more, if only I helped more people and served more diligently, then God would love me more. But the gospel says, Forget all of that. God loves you. God bless you. God accepts you as you are through the person of Jesus. His effort on your behalf is everything you need. Your effort counts for nothing in terms of your righteousness with God. Here's the final point. This gospel doesn't look like religion verse 10, he makes this obscure comment, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Here's the comment that they, his opponents were making about Paul. They're saying, they're saying he's a people pleaser. You know, he's, he's diluted the, the requirements of God so much down that nobody has to do anything anymore for God to love them. And they hated it. They said, we, we, we don't believe that, Paul. So they just said, he's, he's, trying to, he's out to pe- please people. Uh, I've got four kids, and having four kids, the, the lovely thing is, the older two, 
get to offer commentary on our parenting skills for the younger two. <laughs> Isn't that right, guys, with, with larger families? Yeah. So, and here's the frequent comment that comes back to us. I said, Dad, if I had done that, then you would have taken away my iPad for a month. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't. I said, no, you totally would. And this is the killer blow. When they're really getting wound up, they'll say, you are so easy on her or him. Now, this was the comment that was coming to Paul. So this is what I tell them. I said, well, this is actually the, you know, this is exactly the issue they had in Galatia, guys. That, uh, <laughs> that they were saying, Paul, you're going easy on those guys. You should give them a tougher time. But it's a, it's a free... No, I don't say that. Anyway, the, this is exactly what was going on in Galatia. People were saying, Paul, you are giving them an easy time. These people have been away from God for decades. And you're saying they can just come back and enjoy being in, in church and God's presence. And they don't have to do anything. They don't have to put things right. They don't have to, to sort everything out. They don't have to, to, to get circumcised. They don't have to eat the foods that we eat. Are you saying that, Paul? He says, Absolutely. He says, I am making it easy for them because God is making it easy for people to come back to know him. That's the wonder of the gospel. You might not be a Christian here today. You might be right new here for the first time. You might think, what do I have to do to kind of get into this religion thing? The answer is nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Except put your faith in Jesus to do it all for you. That's the gospel. God is going easy on us because Jesus paid the price for our sin on a cross. And after you put your trust in him, he'll change all sorts of things in your life, but it's a result of him at work in you, not as a result of you trying to adhere to a load of Old Testament laws to try and make yourself better. Let's pray together, and uh, I don't think we have time for a song, so we'll just pray. Lord, we want to say to you that we are so grateful for a new way of relating to you through the person of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you put zero expectation on us because you know that we fall short of your standard. And Lord, I want to thank you for each believer here today. I want to pray, Lord, that you'd help us to keep in the grace of God to keep receiving this undeserved blessing and favor that you give to us. Lord, I want to pray for those who just by default beat themselves up and, 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 and think they're just doing terribly. Jesus, I thank you that you've done everything right so that we, it matters not that we do or don't. So Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'd put your grace into our hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd illuminate our thinking. Lord, I pray for any who don't know you here today. I thank you that you've made it easy for us to come to know you. Thank you. All you want us to do is to trust you, to deal with our sin. Maybe that's you too today, and
that's you and you'd just like to put your faith in Christ today. Don't want to make a big deal of this, but just love you to raise your hand and I can just maybe pray with you and chat with you afterwards. Anybody who would like to put their faith in Jesus today. If that is you, then uh, feel free to chat to one of the team on the balcony afterwards. They'd be really happy to, to help you through that process. Lord, we just pray as we go out from here that you'd fill us again with your joy. Thank you for flooding us with the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you love to give him to us. And I pray every day through this week and beyond, we pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill us with joy, fill us with life, fill us with laughter. Lord, I pray that following you would uh, not be a burden, but a deep joy as we contemplate the wonderful things that you've done for us and are taking us towards. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.